Welcome back to the Evans-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 88, hydroxychloroquine dose per ophthalmology guidelines and the risk of systemic lupus erythematosus flares. Oh boy, what a good paper we have today. I have been waiting for this paper, or at least one like it, for quite some time now, and I am excited to be talking about this topic today. Now, I do want to give in a quick plug for my newsletter, which is run through figure one. Do me a favor, check out my website, ebroom.com. Click on the links to sign up and join figure one. Myself and Anisha Dua have a, a, a newsletter there that is coming out twice per month. Um, a lot of good content, highly recommend it. Please do me a favor and sign up. But with that, let's talk about this paper. Now, this hydroxychloroquine business really began in 2014 um, when a, a paper in JAMA Ophthalmology came out, and it it was somewhat dramatic revision of what we previously thought was the incidence of hydroxychloroquine retinopathy. Now, hydroxychloroquine, our favorite drug for lupus, is associated with the development of a retinopathy, which, if unidentified and if hydroxychloroquine is continued, can result in blindness. Now, that's a very scary complication. And we used to think that it was pretty rare, less than about a percent over a long period of time. But in 2014, this rather good paper that was published in JAMA um, suggested that as many as 7.5% of patients would develop the retinopathy at five years. And that's a large number of patients. And the ophthalmologists were, you know, understandably concerned about that. That concern morphed into action because they also realized that uh, being on over five milligrams per kilogram of uh, actual body weight was associated with a higher rate of this of this complication, quite a bit of a higher rate. And the cumulative dose of hydroxychloroquine was also associated with the higher rate of this complication. So, you know, from that stem, the 2016 um, a American Academy of Ophthalmology uh, guidelines, which said that we should try to limit hydroxychloroquine dosing to under five mg per kg of, of real body weight, and that was supported by the 2019 ULAR guidelines for the management of SLE. Rheumatologists and patients have both been, uh, you know, understandably concerned about this, and I think compliance with this uh, recommendation has overall been good, with most patients I see these days being on less than 5 mg per kg of hydroxychloroquine as far as dosing is concerned. Over the past few years, however, I've uh, become increasingly concerned about this policy. I'm increasingly concerned because there's an obvious potential cost here. There's a little bit of doublespeak that rheumatologists are doing when we say that hydroxychloroquine is a great medication for lupus that prevents flares and prevents long-term morbidity and prevents all kinds of complications that are associated with lupus, but that we should also give less of it. I've said this before and I'll say it again, there's no solutions in rheumatology, only trade-offs. And it seems obvious to me that giving less of our best medication for lupus will have some trade-off, and it seemed clear that that trade-off was likely to be flares. I say likely because there was no effort whatsoever to collect prospective data in this area, which I think is really ridiculous. We decided to institute this broad sweeping policy of reducing our best medication for patients with lupus. In an ideal world, we would have randomized people to reducing dose or continuing at their current dose, and we would actually know whether this was associated with the onset of flares, the onset of lupus nephritis, anything scary like that. But we did not do that. We just went all in on it. And the problem is that because we went all in on it, we don't really have a comparator. The patients who have not had their hydroxychloroquine dosing reduced at this point are heavily confounded. A large part of me has been somewhat despairing of ever knowing the answer to this question, but then I saw this paper in JAMA and I was very excited. So let me tell you what these authors did to get around these issues. This was done at the MGH uh, by April Jorge's group. Um, they looked at uh, patients who had two or more rheumatology visits um, and were on hydroxychloroquine between January 2016 and December 2020. Uh, which was a five-year period immediately following the uh, hydroxychloroquine dosing guidelines by the AAOS. What they did was a case 
crossover study. This is kind of like a case control study, which is without a doubt my least favorite type of study, but it's my least favorite type of study because the controls are rarely very similar to the cases themselves. In a case crossover design, as utilized here, the controls are the cases, just at a different time point. So let me tell you what they did. They started by defining case periods, which is the six months prior to a lupus flare among the people who are in their group. So you have five years of time, you have 300 some patients, and whenever one of them flares, the six months before that is a case. And then they said, all right, we need a comparator because the cases aren't the most important thing. The most important thing is how does this compare to people who were on a higher or lower dose of hydroxychloroquine? And so what they did is they said, if you had a visit to a rheumatologist and you weren't flaring, then the six months before that is a control period. Now, these couldn't overlap, and they had to be at least six months in length. And if you had multiple flares, we only called the first one the flare. But so what you get now is you get a number of patients, and each patient um, contributes maybe some cases, maybe some controls, and you can compare the patients to each other. It's a very creative way to go about addressing this question. Now, the exposure of interest was, of course, the hydroxychloroquine dose, and they categorized this as either less, to or less than or greater than the 5 mg per kg per day um, recommendations makes sense. But you can also imagine some issues with this, right? So there are a number of factors that probably are extenuating circumstances or even confounders here. How much steroids were the patients on? What other uh, immunosuppressant therapies were they taking? What was their disease activity when these decisions were made? All of these are important. And of course, the authors controlled for this in a logistic regression. What did they wind up finding? Well, uh, they identified uh, 342 patients with lupus who had used hydroxychloroquine during their study period. 168 had at least one flare and were included in the analysis. 80 or 23% of these had a moderate or severe flare. Patients were about what you'd expect with lupus, mean age of 43 years, 88% were women. Um, baseline sleet eye scores were about 3.5, so a little bit active. 21% um, had nephritis, so some patients, one in five, had some severe disease at baseline. And 43% were using glucocorticoids. 80 or 48% were on other oral immunosuppressants. I think this is a reasonably representative sample. Although bear in mind this was done at an academic center. Academic centers are a little weird. It's not quite the same as community practice. So a little caveat there. Ultimately, they identified 308 case periods, about 1.8 periods per patient, which included 141 moderate or severe flares. This is actually a pretty active amount of lupus. I wouldn't have expected quite so much activity. But for the purposes of this study, that's actually useful because we have a little more power to actually find anything. And find things they did. The adjusted odds ratio for any lupus flares associated with taking hydroxychloroquine dose of under 5 mg per kg per day was 1.98. So there is a doubling in your risk of having any flare. For moderate to severe flares, six-fold higher. Let me repeat that. There was a six-fold higher risk of having a moderate or severe flare if you're on under 5 mg per kg per day of hydroxychloroquine as compared to yourself when you're on over 5 mg per kg per day of hydroxychloroquine. That is a very, very scary effect size in my opinion. That should be tempered somewhat because this is of course not randomized data and there are some limitations to this approach. You don't know exactly what was happening. You don't know how adherent these patients were. You don't know what kind of issues confounded these changes. And at the end of the day, I, I suspect that there is a risk. This absolutely substantiates my concerns, but I don't know how to balance that risk with the potential for ocular toxicity. Not all patients develop ocular toxicity, even if they're super therapeutic for a long period of time. When they do develop ocular toxicity, the ophthalmologists are very good at finding it. And if we stop the hydroxychloroquine, it, tends, it doesn't progress. So in, in my opinion, I don't think very many people will ultimately go blind if they're followed appropriately, which they should be if you're prescribing them hydroxychloroquine. 
Take-home points? Well, this is challenging. My major take-home point is that we shouldn't have just embraced this one-sided perspective of, we have to reduce the risk of retinal toxicity. We should have said, for some patients, high doses are probably necessary and the risk of retinal toxicity is probably worth it. For other patients who are stable and doing well, this publication in JAMA Ophthalmology is pretty convincing and the guidelines recommend reducing hydroxychloroquine levels. And I think that's what we should have been doing for a lot of these patients. Reducing the medication burden and the dosage of medications is always good practice, in my opinion, for patients who are stable and as part of a shared decision-making process. When I start patients on hydroxychloroquine, I do start them below five mg per kg per day, but I'm not scared to give more if I think I need it. And if I have a patient who comes into my clinic on six or seven mg per kg per day, and who is not well controlled, I am certainly not going to push them onto less hydroxychloroquine because of a future risk that we can screen for and stop if we identify it. I think this is going to be a moving target over the coming years, but I hope the pendulum swings back towards a more risk-benefit balancing approach. There's also the possibility of checking hydroxychloroquine levels as a way to maybe identify people who are at higher risk of retinopathy and who may be getting extra hydroxychloroquine hydroxychloroquine at baseline. But again, using those levels is not something that's proven, and I think we should be testing all of these in adequately powered randomized controlled trials. Probably not going to happen, but in the interim, I think that we should all be a little more cautious before going headfirst into reducing the dose of our best medication for a disease whose flares can be quite damaging. That is it for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to this research for group, group for doing this paper. I think it was bold. I think it was creative. And I really enjoyed it. It also confirmed my biases and priors. So you should always be uh, skeptical when a paper lines up with exactly something you were worried about. But uh, I thought it was well done. Showed up in JAMA. Worth a read. Thank you to them for doing it. Thanks to all of you for listening. And have a great day.